second. Thanks for having me here. I'm excited to be here. This is really awesome. Leslie and I have talked about this, and at different times, what we tend to do is, I'm like, Leslie, I need someone to come and talk about this on my church, <laughs> or at my school, or, <laughs> or something. But they need to hear it from somewhere else. But she did not give me anything to work with here. So <laughs> she's like, go with the spirit. I'm like, ah, it's no fair. I'm always like, Leslie, deal with my problems here. <laughs> tell these people what they need to hear, because I keep telling them, and they're not changing. <laughs> and I need the whole. I need someone else with the Holy Spirit to really <laughs> just kind of drive it home. Um, so I spent a bunch of time praying, and I have a couple uh, messages that sometimes I just you know you have in your back pocket. They're ones that the Lord puts on your heart, and you carry, and you feel the anointing for it. And there are times where you're like, "This is this is feel this from the Lord. I know this is from God." But He didn't give me any of those. He didn't. <laughs> the Lord didn't give me permission for any of that. So I. <laughs> I had to come up with something totally new, which is great. <laughs> um, but I'm excited. But before I begin, I just want to pray for a second. Thank you, Jesus. We love you so much. Thank you for your presence here with us. So that as your spirit ministers to your church uh, across the globe that meets on this day, Lord, we thank you for being here with us and ministering to us. So Holy Spirit, I thank you that you draw us into truth. You lead us into the truth of who you are, who the Son is. And so... Holy Spirit, lead us into your truth. Lead us into truth. Lead us into Christ today. Draw us into his gaze. Draw us into his being. Lord, we thank you that we are seated in him. That before the foundations of the world, we were in him. And we bless him in the name of Jesus. We say he is worthy of our attention, of our praise. He is worthy of it all. And Lord, we love you. We thank you for being with us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. One of th- one of the things that I love that I has always challenged me in scripture is the is are the parables and they're supposed to that's literally their job is to challenge you into the way of thinking. In fact, Jesus in Mark four tells a story. He's, he's giving the parable of the sower, and his disciples afterwards are like, Jesus, what in the world are you talking about? What do you mean? And these are people who are listening to Jesus, who are with him, and are um, are you know very much aware and and regularly around him and they're asking what these things are about and he goes in to explain what these parables mean and what uh what the setting is for them and i'll just pull this up on my uh here (coughs) he was so they're asking jesus to explain it and he does graciously he does he tells them he says listen for everyone else the things i teach is are, are parables but for you, I'm going to reveal this, and there's a reason. And he goes, us, um, and it's funny because his followers do it when they're alone. So I'm sure they're sitting there like, oh, yeah, parable, like sowing seeds, right? That makes so much sense. And then they get alone, and they're like, Jesus, what did you mean? You know, <laughs> try to look like you really understand what's going on. And, it's so, and he says, uh, I want to change the translation because it's, it's like, <laughs> where's it? He goes, to you has been entrusted the mystery of the kingdom. You guys, I'm, I'm entrusting these mysteries to you, the, the secret counsels of God, the hidden wisdom of who he is. I'm entrusting these to you within this circle. Everyth- so, But everyone outside of this group, this things become a parable in order that those who are hearing would look and look but not see and perceive. Wait a minute. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to say parables so people will look and not get it. Okay, hold on. 
uh, that they may hear and hear, but they won't, gr- but not grasp or comprehend. Lest they happily turn away, lest they happily turn again, and in their willful rejection of the truth should be forgiven them. Lest they hear the truth, let it say the truth is revealed to them in a very confronted manner. This is the truth. People hear it. Now they are held to the responsibility of that truth. And he's going, if I just reveal truth to people, they will hold on to it and they won't care for it. It won't change their life. So I hide things for a reason in parables. I conceal them for a purpose. And in the Proverbs, it says, it is for the glory of God to conceal a matter and it's for the glory of a king to search it out. God is in his revealing of himself to us is all about us searching him. It's about us learning how to be drawn into him, to desire him, and to pursue him. That is his goal because when things are handed to us, we tend to not even appreciate what has been handed to us. It is the issue. We have friends in Nepal who brought Bibles uh, for the Nepalese people. Uh, and as they were giving them out, they said they handed them out to all the people, all these Nepalese people, and when they would visit their homes, they would see the the Bibles on the shelves collecting dust, and so they had to end up charging like five cents for a Bible. And he said as soon as they started charging a little bit, all of a sudden these Bibles began to be read because there was value put on it. There was an immediate thing that said, "Uh, this has worth, and I just had to pay for it. You end up appreciating the things that you make more and the things that you have to work for more than the handouts that you get. Um, Though sometimes it's really nice to get a handout. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. But Jesus is saying, I speak things in parables so people don't see it because I need them to seek it. I don't want to just reveal truth to them because I'll reveal truth. They'll now be held accountable to that truth. It is more out of the mercy and the grace of God to actually conceal it and say it's better for them to hear it and be like, that didn't make sense, then leave. Because now they're not held accountable to the truth that they just heard. But he goes on to say, um, and he said to them, do you not discern or understand the parable? And he begins to explain what the parable, what the parable is about. And then he goes and he says to them in verse 21, Mark 4, 21, he said to them, is the lamp brought uh, in to put under uh, a measure or put under a bed and not on a lampstand? And in Mark 4, 22, he says, things are hidden. And I'm reading from the Amplified because there's always a little bit more. Things are hidden temporarily only as a means to revelation. For there is nothing hidden except to be revealed. Nor is there anything temporarily kept secret except in order that it may be made known. So he's saying everything that he hides has the purpose of being revealed. There is nothing in him that he hides purposely for it to never, for always to remain concealed. He wants to be discovered. He wants to be made known. And he wants us to look into them. And that's why he gives us the parables, which is significant. Because when we, the Jewish people, when they heard teachings from different rabbis, they understood that there were several different layers to what was being taught. It was never just a front of truth. It was always there something deeper. And they committed themselves to searching these things out and, and just searching out the truths that there was, that there were. He goes, uh, nor is anything kept secret except in order that it may be made known. If any man has ears to hear, let him be listening. Let him perceive and comprehend. And he said to them, be careful what you're hearing. Because the measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you. And more besides will be given to those of you who hear. To him who has will more be given. And from him who has nothing, even that he has will be taken away by force. He's, there's a, he goes, for those who 
search. The measure of thought and study, the measure of searching that someone puts into searching out truth will be the measure and more of what they receive from it. He, Jesus is, is incredible in his understanding of, of saying, this is how I'm going to work. I'm going to go, I'm going to share parables, which in uh, Psalm 72, he says that parables were things of old, things before the foundations of the world, divine mysteries that he would speak in parables. These are things and revelations that he's had since before we were even created. He hides them so that those who do not hear it and do not search it out are, are receive a form of mercy and not being held accountable to the truth because they don't understand it. But those who would go, there's something to that, they would actually receive not just the measure that they've put into it, but they would receive more out of it. He's, I want to be abundant with the ones who follow, and I want to be merciful with the ones who don't. That's, that's what we see in his desire of the parables. So I say that all to preface a parable that convicts me <laughs> and, and challenges my heart. That's found in Luke. <coughs> and it is part of our job, part of our purpose to search these things out and to uh, dive into them. And in Luke chapter 14, verse 7 to 15, it says, And he began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both will come to you and say, give your place to this man. And then in disgrace, you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you're invited, go and recline at the last place so that when the one who has invited you comes, he says to you, uh, friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is incredible. He now uh, I want to uh, the the thing that needs to be revealed to us in this is this is instruction for us. We go okay when I go places I, I need to go low I need to go to the lowest place. But this comes out of the nature of who Christ is. He never takes the seat of honor. When he comes into your life, he will sit on the floor in your life, and he will wait for you to say no no no. Jesus, come take this place of honor. Jesus' nature wasn't just that he was humble for a moment in coming to earth and bringing himself in humility. It says that he went to the lowest place. This is the nature of who he is. He's a humble God. He does this regularly. He doesn't change. This is his nature. This is who he is. He goes to the lowest place each time. And when we become believers and when we take Christ into our lives, we receive him into our hearts, as we say as Christians, <laughs> I, you know, uh, my sixth grade teacher used to always draw a, our Christian school, she would draw a heart with a, a throne in it, and she said, who's sitting on the throne of your heart? And that was, uh, you know, is it you or is it Christ? We realized that when, I, I used to think that just by being a believer, by welcoming him, that he was in that seat. But the reality is he doesn't force himself into that seat. He doesn't uh, come in and say, I'm taking the highest place of your life now. He will come sit in the corner of your life. And you know what's crazy about him, too, is he'll sit in the corner and still smile. He'll sit in the corner and just be happy he's there. And yet, how often are we the ones who have invited him? It says when somebody has invited you to their home, they will then come to you and say, no, no, come sit to the higher place. Come sit in the seat of honor. And our 
position and recognize even even in these parables is that Christ himself will not take the seat of honor by himself. He will wait for you to give it to him. And it's not enough to just say, come into my life, and now you're the primary focus. That's a <laughs> how, wait, What Christian does that? <laughs> Even in a radical conference kind of setting, like, oh, Jesus is maybe for that moment when you're worshiping, and you're like, take it all. And then the next day, it's all about your decisions. It's all about what you've decided and how you're going to operate. In fact, I'm so challenged. I'm named, my name's Hudson Taylor Wells. I'm named after the missionary Hudson Taylor. And it was my life goal to read everything about and by him. I finished that life goal at 16. <laughs> there's not that much. <laughs> like, there's, a, there's plenty, but, I mean, how long does it take to write, read a couple books? And um, one of the things that strikes me about Hudson Taylor is that when he got saved, first of all, he had a mother and a sister who, and a father who were believing. And they were, uh, his mother and his sister were off at a conference in the south of England. And he was at home walking into his father's study and found on, on a table a pamphlet that said, The Finished Work of Christ. And he picked it up and he said, <laughs> what do you mean the finished work of Christ? It's not finished. Like I, he never heard this kind of understanding. And so he read this pamphlet and in that moment came to know the Lord. He surrendered his life over to Jesus. And his prayer became one that, uh, that I, I have tried to model my life after. And I think we all should. <laughs> he prayed, Lord, for, for a season, he prayed, Lord, what are you doing and how do you want me to help? How can I serve? He said, so often we say, Lord, this is what I'm doing, and please help me. Lord, this is my plan. This is my agenda. Please come and guide and, and, and stand by me. Bless what I'm doing, the work of my hands. Hudson Taylor goes, what are you doing? <laughs> well, listen, Lord of the universe, the one who is in the seat of honor, the one who <laughs> uh, recognizes all things and sees all things and knows all things, comprehends all, what are you doing and how can I help? And he prayed this prayer for a while dedicating himself to say, I am not going to take leadership over my life. I am not going to take priority in my heart. He is going to have priority, and I'm going to actually make a stance to the point of saying, I'm not going to do it so much so that I will wait until he finally does something, because I believe that he actually will. And I believe that the Lord will actually put you in a, pl- a, a season of waiting in order, for, in order for you to get to the place of actually proving to him that you're ready for him to root, ready for his leadership. Because we pray prayers like, lead me, Lord. But then immediately we get into this, this, the culture of our Christianity, which is, I'm going to go do this and help me. I have my plan, and you, do, you come alongside and do what you want with me. Like, come, come uh, bless my plans. I sit in a leadership meeting with the elders of my church, and we had to confront this issue because we would come for our business meeting and it was like lord this is what we want we would say lord come bless the meeting and be here with us and lead us amen and then we wouldn't recognize or wait for any of his direction at one point we were sitting around the table and an issue there was an issue with somebody in our congregation and we're like this is an issue that's come up how are we going to deal with it and everyone around the table started saying this is how we should deal with it this is what we should do this is what we should do and i sat there and I, I was very new. I was actually just the interim pastor. I wasn't even officially the guy. And I said, you know, I don't actually think any of us know what to do. <laughs> and I think we need to go pray and fast about this. Now, they had never been challenged in that. And, and they all loved it. Many, many people love that sort of thing when it comes to go, oh, wow. Yes, we should pray. We don't have to have the answer now. We preach it all the time. 
Yet here we are trying to figure it out because for some reason we feel responsible for the growth of the church. And yet it says that one will water and one will sow, but the Lord will provide the growth. And so what do we do? We just remain faithful with the things that he's called us to do. We remain faithful. And Hudson Taylor, in that prayer, after a season of praying and dedicating himself in, I believe, proving to the Lord that he was so dedicated to the Lord's leadership in his life that all of a sudden he said that the Lord scooped the nation of China into his hand and put it into his heart. The entire nation. And Hudson Taylor said, if I was given 70 lifetimes to live, each lifetime would be dedicated to this nation. That's how devoted he was to this. But it is the nature of the Lord to hold back, to not force himself upon you, which is insane because he is the God of the universe who could so easily thrust you against the wall and make you do whatever he wanted. And yet, in his humility, he chooses to wait for you to be the one to give him the place you to be the one to exalt him to the seat of honor. He does not, will not require of you what he has not already done himself. That's why he can require of us death, <laughs> because he's done it himself. We can read about the humility of God in, in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, and it, it, we're called to have the same attitude. It says, have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not even reg regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, not even just a human. He took the form of someone who would be a bondservant, someone who would be bounded to serving us. Took the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. Being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Again, this is going back to this teaching that Jesus said, listen, those who, are, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus humbled himself and brought himself to the lowest place and was exalted to the highest place. And this is the same way he interacts with us. And the question is, are we giving the seat of honor in our life to him? And what does that manifest itself as? What does that actually look like? Does it look like praying before a meal? Why would we consider that to be, oh, well, you know, we're giving the Lord the place of honor by praying to him, you know, thanking him and asking him to take away the calories. <laughs> like, 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 Lord, like, I, I saw with people that were like, Lord, and make this food healthy for me. I'm like, sorry, <laughs> like, we don't do that. I'm like, yeah. it's like, we will eat poison. I'm like, listen, that doesn't give you a right to eat McDonald's every day. <laughs> like, let's eat poison and live. Yeah, well, no wonder we're all surviving. But do this, this strikes my heart and, and brings me back to this place of recognizing the Lord's position in our hearts and the day-to-day -day, uh, work that needs to be done to give him that place of honor, to say, Lord, have the leadership in my life. And as a leader, in I've, I've run ministries and I've done a school and I've done all these sorts of things. And I have had people underneath me, people who have, who have served in the organizations I've had, get irritated and frustrated with me because they're like, when are we going to do this? When are we going to do this? When are we going to do this? And I'm going, I don't know because I'm not going to create the rule here. 
I'm not going to just move on with my own agenda. Why do that? Why do I get anxious all the time? Because I'm trying to drive my own life. Why do I get frustrated and depressed? Because I'm trying to figure this out. I've been told that I don't have to worry or be anxious for anything. All I need to do is seek the kingdom first. And everything else will be provided for me. I, I say this all the time. I have not bought a piece of clothing in the past, like, 15 years of my life, like maybe less than 15, maybe 10 years of my life since I've been in ministry, I have not purchased clothing. And it's not just because all my clothing lasts forever. It's because people around me end up feeling called to buy me clothing. I can point out every piece of clothing that I'm wearing and be like, and this is from this person, and this is from this person. Like he has been so faithful because it's the the requirement, but the requirement comes back to saying, I'm not going to worry about what clothes I wear. I'm not going to worry about what food I eat. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to choose to lead my own life because all that has ever done for me is lead me into anxiety and lead me into worry and lead me into frustration and cause me to feel like I need to work something out instead of saying I can be content with having little or much. I can be happy. I can be satisfied with whatever the Lord has brought before me. the, The place of honor given to the Lord is a place of saying, you really have the leadership. You really are in the front seat. I remember Wesley once taught a, a, a message, and I'm not sure if she heard it somewhere else. I can't remember, but it was, you know, sometimes we think Christianity, and it was like putting a, a ink, a piece of an ink thing into the pen, and she's like, you know, that's what we think Christianity is, bringing Jesus into our life. But that's just not it. It's just a whole new pen. It's just a whole new being. It's a whole new life. And what's beautiful about it is when we can get to the place of saying, he really has t- taking care of it all. I really don't have to worry. How then can I ever be anxious? And let me tell you, I I struggle with anxiety. Like, I I, I get anxiety and panic attacks. Like, uh, there have been times where my sister Lydia had to come up to Canada because I, every day, was like, (laughs) like, you know, help! I can't do this! These things happen, and I had to continue to go and you just surrender to the Lord. And it's, it's a process of surrender. There, you know, I wish it was as easy as being like, today I surrendered, and therefore that's the end of it. <laughs> that would be awesome. But that's frankly just not how it is. It's a day-to-day and learning to make that my normal response and my natural response is that today the Lord has made this day, and I'll rejoice and be glad in it, even if it looks awful, even if it's freezing, even if it's negative 40 degrees outside. He's made this day! Like... <laughs> I will rejoice and be glad in it and stay inside. <laughs> like, that's, that's what I'm doing today. But for, <coughs> for myself, I equated knowing or the, the figuring God out as l- giving him the place of honor. I considered uh, the more in intellectual I got as being actually saying, okay, he has the place of honor. And that just simply has never been it. I worked, I remember realizing that people believe different things than me within Christianity. I remember the day that happened, and I was in ministry with somebody, and all of a sudden they were like, no, you're predestined. You're like, you like every work is set before you, and there's no choices. And I was like, uh, no. Like, I have free will. Wait a minute. Where are you getting this from? And they had Bible verses to back up what they were saying. And I didn't really know where my Bible verses were because I never thought I had to know them. And so my agenda became, I need to figure out as much as I can so I can argue. 
I need to figure out as much as I can because that will make me like God. And even from the very beginning, from the garden, we equated being like God as obtaining knowledge, as obtaining something. Look at the Garden of Eden. What did they want? Oh, if you have this fruit, you are obtaining godliness. You will be more like him. Isn't that a good thing that we should be aspiring for, to be more like God? And yet for some reason, this the, the, the pursuit of pure just knowledge is empty within itself. It holds nothing. And in fact, it caused the fall. <laughs> and it wasn't just the knowledge of evil. It wasn't just knowing that you could do wrong things. It was the knowledge of good and evil. And then we go on this track of saying, I'm determining what's good and evil. Because I have the knowledge of it based on how I see things. And that's where we all begin our lives. And I was like, I need to figure out which things are good and which things are evil. And I began to study. And I remember I got this book. It was this thick. And it was called The Five Views. And it was the top five uh, th systematic theologies and where they come from, who's founded them, and the Bible verses behind them. And I got so angry reading it because I was like, they all make sense. <laughs> like, ah, they all have figured it out. And they're all opposing each other. This is ridiculous. And I overworked myself thinking I could somehow get to know him or, or my, my relationship with him or him holding the, the place of honor in my life was bent on me knowing everything about him. And yet, when we get to Matthew 7, and Jesus is talking about those who will even do great things in his name, he says, the Father will say, depart from me because I don't know you. And I was struck by that because he didn't say, depart from me because you didn't know me. How? I oh, Wait a minute. You know me. You know everyone. You know the amount of hair on, on my, uh, you know, face. <laughs> like, you, like, you know these, all these things, and yet here I am. Like, how are you saying that you don't know me? This doesn't make sense. Why is that the excuse? Not you didn't know me enough. And I, I was studying this thick book and getting irritated. I was convicted, and the Lord brought me into three visions, three pictures, that challenged me and, and totally <laughs> messed up my agenda. Thank God. <laughs> I was struck, depart from me because I don't know who you are. I don't know you. What does that mean? Because on a, I, on a level of knowing every atom that makes my form, every dust speck that I made out of, he does know. And yet what is he saying that he doesn't know? And he's calling us to the place of intimacy and the place of relationship. A child does not need to be able to read the family history to understand their family. A child gets to sit in the parent's lap and actually receive love. It's amazing how children are more secure in their identity than adults. <laughs> uh, Josiah Armstrong posted the other day, he said, um, identity uh, precedes intimacy, or identity comes before intimacy. And I was stopped and was like, hmm, do I agree with that? I do that with everything. <laughs> doesn't matter if they're a good friend or not. <laughs> like, do I agree with that? Identity precedes intimacy. And and I was like, what about children? And I said, children don't doubt who they are. I never doubted who I was as a kid. I just was who I was. I went and caught frogs, and I played in the field next door, and I got dirty. Like, in the, you know, I played in mud. Like, the, and I, never I never questioned anything, and yet here I was uh, getting older and being challenged by all these ideas, and I began to make my ways of thinking my identity instead of Christ. I began to be, which now is being totally shaken by the things I was studying, and the Lord brought me into three pictures. The first picture um, I had was I was at a party, and Jesus was the host of the party. 
and I was going to, per he's like, this is what you're doing. You're going to this person over here and saying, so who's, who is the party host? Who is this guy? Oh, it's Jesus. Oh, it's Jesus. And who is he? Oh, he's my healer. Okay, he's a healer. Oh, so cool. And I was going over to this person. So who is this, the, who, who's this Jesus guy? Oh, he's my provider. Okay, he's a provider. All good things. All out of the testimony of God. And they build into the understanding that I have about him. But the entire time I was circling, circling this party, he was standing in the middle. He's like, you know, you can just come talk to me. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm right here. We can develop a relationship. Yes, you talk to this person, but they had developed a relationship with me. That's how they came to know me. Stop relying. Stop making that your primal focus. They will be secondary. All those testimonies and all of these theologies and all of these ways of thinking will, will come in handy at times. But primarily, get to know me. Because what needs to happen is a place of knowing one another, a place of intimacy with him where I stand before him and he doesn't say, well, you didn't know enough about me. He says, I knew you. I knew you. We, were, we had a relationship. So I think prayer is so foundational in the church. And in Isaiah, it says, literally says that his house will be called the house of prayer. And he's not talking about, though I love, I've, I've helped establish house, independent houses of prayer. He's not talking about independent houses of prayer. He's talking about his church. He's like, my church will be identified by prayer. They will know how to talk to me. That is the identifying factor. And when they get this, he says, they'll have joy. They will have gladness. And I'm like, why are we the most miserable people on the earth? <laughs> so often, I remember going to Russia and, and seeing these Christians, and it was like, man, if you got the joy of the Lord, tell your face about it. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, you know, I'm so happy. I'm very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my H-E-A-R-T. Like, Come on, get, get a little excited. Is he really not there? Why are you saying you have his joy and yet you look miserable? And, let you, and I get it. I have times of sorrow. Like I have times of crying uh, desperately. But it's his joy. I love it, Nehemiah. When Nehemiah says, when they've all gone into sackcloth and ashes, when the law is being read, and they're all weeping out before the Lord, and Nehemiah's like, nope, or Ezra, sorry. He's like, nope not going to happen. Wash your faces. Put on some better clothes. We're going to feast. And they're like, what? He's like, because it's the joy of the Lord that will be your strength. And I used to be like, oh, I just have to get joy. I have to be joyful so that I'm strong. And it's, no, that's not even what it's talking about. He's saying the joy that the Lord has is your strength. Recognizing how joyful the Lord is over what's happening right now in Jerusalem as the walls are being built. He is a joyful God and that should be our strength to overcome the sorrow. Even though a whole group of these people were mourning because they remembered the former glory of Jerusalem. It's not about just being happy. It's recognizing his joy and letting that be his joy for the things that are being accomplished in his name and letting that set my heart to a place of saying, I have strength because God is doing something. Whether I see it or not, it doesn't matter. He's doing something. Whether I've recognized the former glory or, or stepping into something new and going, wow, this is what Christianity is. It's so amazing. It's his joy that's my strength. And it's not just that I feel joyful and that's my strength. It's that he is. My identity was set in, in trying to know him. So that first vision, I was in this party, and he's like, you can come and talk to me. He says, what you're doing, and it brought me to the second one, which I was, <laughs> there was a cross, and I was before, and there was a bunch of Play-Doh in front of it. And I was like, this Play-Doh is love. And I grabbed some, and I said, and God is love. So I, <laughs> like, there we go. This is part of who God is. And he's also like a healer. And I was grabbing all these elements of who God was and was creating an image of him. 
trying to figure out by the things I could comprehend were becoming the God I was worshiping. And they were all true parts of who he is. But then he stopped me and said, Hudson, did you know that if you're missing anything, you've created an idol? <laughs> and also if you've added anything into that, that isn't me, you've created an idol. Like if you've taken or added from that, you've got the wrong idea. I'm like, oh, stop building this thing. Like, <laughs> wait a minute. Well, then how am I ever supposed to figure you out? Like, if I can't just take the pieces I know and put them together to create you, wh what am I supposed to be doing? Because now, apparently, I'm worshiping an idol. I'm worshiping a God, basically, in my own image that has biblical truths to it. And he's like, listen, Hudson, it's okay. Like, I get it. I, I, I was receiving your worship the whole time. Like, <laughs> I wasn't like, you're worshiping an idol. <laughs> you know, he's like, you're a child. You're trying to figure things out. It's okay how good our God is. And then he brought me to the third picture, which was a big black canvas across the sky. And he said, Hudson, when I speak to you, when I reveal my heart of community and family to you, it's like this. And it was like a little needle being poked through that canvas and a little light shining through. He's like, but the vast, the rest of it is all me as well. And then when I reveal my love for the broken, it's like a little poke through that hole. It's like there's little elements that you understand, little revelations that you have that you're searching out, and they do create light, and they are me, but there is so much more to who I am. And so bask not just in the knowledge that you have of me, bask in the mystery of who I am and continue the searching. It's not seek, it's seek and you will find, but it's not that you seek once and you find it once. It's seek and keep seeking. It's pursue and keep pursuing. It's, it's ask and keep asking, knock and keep knocking. It's about our constant pursuit of him. And the only time you will actually live in the place of the constant pursuit is when he's sitting at the seat of honor. It's when he's become the primal focus of your life. The reality is when the church started, you had the apostles at Solomon's porch, you know, sharing the testimony of who Christ was. They're the last three years of them. And anything that they could remember biblically, because <laughs> most of his apostles weren't even studied, and, the, and then believers meeting in the home and, and breaking bread and, and devoting themselves to fellowship. But the breaking of bread and the fellowship was this constant remember that the head of the church was not even the apostles. The head of the church was Christ. And that when they all sat around that communion, that place of receiving him and remembering what that meant, they were going, we are filling ourselves with him. We are the temple now. He is the, when we receive the wine, when we receive the the bread, when we have the love feast, whatever this looks like, we are now participating in being the temple that is being filled. Just as it was filled when fire came down on the tent of meeting. Just as it was filled when the fire came down into the temple. Just as it was filled when it came into the Ark of the Covenant. It's like you are just th that new building. And when you come, you're being reminded each time, listen, he is the center. He is on the throne. He is the, in the seat of honor. But the thing is, is he won't force himself there. He will politely sit on the dirt and in a in his beautiful attitude will sit on the dirt and continue to smile knowing and hoping that one knowing one day you might get it <laughs> you might get it and actually even give him a, a regular chair maybe not even the seat of honor it's generally how it happens it's like first he's sitting on the <laughs> that's how i picture it like heart my heart like a little home and him sitting in the corner on the dirt <laughs> like the first time and then him sitting in a normal chair and finally him getting the comfy recliner <laughs> it starts with a setting Christ as the truth and, the, and the, the pursuit of truth being the pursuit of him. David found himself saying, I, there's one thing I actually want and it's not to understand the mysteries of the cosmos. 
there's one thing I desire, and it's not to obtain every hidden secret. There's one thing I want, and it's to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. There's one thing I want, and it's to be in his temple, to be before him. There's one thing. It wasn't even about obtaining something for himself. It was about just recognizing the position of Christ, recognizing the position of the Lord. And in that, David is called a man after the Lord's own heart. And that becomes our pursuit as his children. He won't force himself upon us. And he won't, uh, you know, people will say, oh, the Lord's a gentleman. And I'm like, "Eh, like, define gentleman. North American gentleman is different than Bulgarian gentleman. It's different than Brazilian gentleman. Like, what do you mean? Because then we immediately define him into our own status of what we think a gentleman is. And I don't think it's meaning that he's, uh, he's passive. He's not passive. He sits there and there, and he throws us the bone. He sits in there and continues to speak truth, and he will present things to us in a parabolic way for us to search it. And yet what's so beautiful is that he'll present things that we will never, things will pass before your eyes that are things that he wants to speak to you that you will never understand. And you know what's great is that he won't count it against you. He sits there going, oh, like I tried revealing truth here. They didn't really understand it, so... They're not going to be held accountable to that truth right now. He's like, but it, his call is for us to not just get to the n- knowing of who he is or the intellectualism of who he is or the information. Information doesn't really change people. Impartation does. And impartation involves information. It involves receiving something. But when it's solely on getting to know more of something, well, that can, that's going to be empty because it will be challenged and you might find out that you're wrong. And if you have identified yourself with a specific way of thinking, well, you know what? The minute someone comes and challenges that way of thinking, your identity is going to be crushed. That's one of our biggest issues today is that our identity is so wrapped around our systematic theologies that the minute that someone opposes us, we feel offended. Instead of having our identity seated in Christ, and being like, I don't have to be offended at anything. I don't have to worry about anything. I get to speak truth, not because I'm offended, but because... It's he's the truth, and I have a relationship with him. I get to give him that place of honor, and he gets to sit there and lead me every day, and I don't have to worry about a thing. Going back to that parable to finish. I remember I was sitting down with, with a group of people down in Florida as we were spending time searching the Lord, and we took on this practice of sitting down and reading a, a, a passage of Scripture and then praying through the scripture a story of jesus and then trying to understand where the heart of the lord is in it so we're like lord what are you jesus what are you feeling here what are you doing here i want to not just know the story i want to know you in the story i want to have a relationship with you throughout the gospels not just memorizing the gospels it's like the devil knows scripture congratulations you know scripture good job you've memorized bible verses so did the devil like congratulations what has that done for you It's empty if it's devoid of relationship with him. And so all of our pursuit and all of our our desire for more can really come up to nothing and can become an image of of a version of God that we like. And yet we need to take a step back and realize that it is not our knowledge that equates to relationship with God. It is our intimacy. It is our uh, firmness in the identity that he's given us in him. That equates to our intimacy. That sets us up for intimacy with him. 
when I know who I am and I know who he is, we are intimate with one another. Like, we, we have intimacy. He sees into me, I see into him. Uh, I'll finish with this. Mother, um, Mother Teresa was asked about her prayer life. And that, uh, I'll finish this piece of it. Mother Teresa was asked about her prayer life. They said, so, Mother Teresa, when you pray, because, you know, every Christian's like, oh, you have a direct line to the Lord. <laughs> you know, they, they see those special people that they're like, you're just special, and God listens to you more than me. It's like, no, actually, he'll probably listen to you more than me, like, because you don't talk to him that often. If you start talking to God, he'll probably move the heavens, you know? <laughs> just kidding. But uh, he listens to us all. Anyway, Mother Teresa was asked about her prayer life because everyone's going, this woman must say things to the Lord and must see things happen. The Lord must love her so much. She must have this direct line. So what do you pray when you pray? When you pray, what do you pray? What do you say? And she goes, oh, I, I no, I, uh, when, I, when I pray, I, I just listen. I just listen to the Lord. And I go, oh, what does he say to you? Like, what re- mysteries are being revealed? And she goes, oh, no, no, uh, when, I, when I'm listening, it's like, he's just listening too. And if you don't really understand that, then I can't help you. <laughs> and that was something so profound in that. What do you say when you pray? Oh, I just listen. But what does he say? No, no, he just listens. Wait a minute. What kind of prayer life do you have, Mother Teresa? What's going on here? No, it wasn't about which words could be exchanged. It was about being in the presence. About recognizing, knowing him doesn't mean information exchanged. Knowing him is about delighting and, re- and gazing on his beauty. You don't need to say anything before him. You don't need to declare some triumphant truth for him to be proud of you. We stand before him and we gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and we let him ha- in him in that seat of honor, in that place of priority. And we go, I could just stand here. And just by standing in his presence, just by being there with him, something is being developed. I am feeling good. I am feeling confident and I am secure. Isn't that amazing? When a child just sits on the dad's lap, and or, you know, when the, when the child is just there, they feel safe. Not because the father's saying, you're safe, you're safe, you're safe, you're safe, you're safe. Don't worry, you're safe. The child jumps off of like, off of, you know, a stage or whatever, you know, catch me, like they say last minute. Why? Because they're so confident that the dad will. You know, they're so confident that the father will catch them because they know they're so secure in who they are. Oh, if he loves me, he's going to catch me. And that's how he is with us. What do I do when I pray? Oh, I listen. What does he say? Well, he doesn't. He just listens to. And that sets us up for intimacy. Amen. Father, stir intimacy in our hearts. Lord, we set you as in the seat of honor in our hearts. We say you are deserving of it. Lord, we, we, we declare your greatness as the priority in our life, as the one who has made the plan, as the one who has, has lived the life, died the death, and lived into eternity for us. Lord, you did everything and you completed the work so that we could then fully surrender to you and receive every good thing that comes from you. We step out of the place of striving. Lord, you are our Sabbath. You are our rest. You are the one that makes us new. You are the one that settles our hearts. You are the one that gives us new perspective and new eyes. Holy Spirit says you are the one that leads us into truth. Not some great orator. Not some great preacher, though they might provide the place for it. 
Holy Spirit, you are the one who does this work. Jesus, take the seat of honor. As we come and we stand in wonder of who you are, Lord, transform us. Give us an impartation that will, pr- that will produce transformation in us. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. want to thank you Hudson for coming that was awesome and just thinking for like the challenge for this week you know we want to apply what we're hearing and he shared a lot of things right there was a lot of gold in that so again if you write things down write it down jot down some notes how how are you going to put him in the place of honor in your life we don't want to just hear that and then say yeah that sounds great like that's we know that's true but where and how are you going to do that what specifically do we need to do to, to put him in that place? And, and that might take some time just, again, listening to the Lord. Where is he not in the place of honor? Sometimes we don't even realize where those places are. And he helps us. He, he desires, like Hudson was saying, he desires that we recognize where those places are so that he can be in first place because that's where we flow and it's good and it's, it's freedom. So so I just want to leave you with that encouragement to you and that focus for this week. Be asking God, you know, where where have I not put you in honor? Because we might have some places that he is and other places he's not, where we've surrendered some areas and other places we're still holding on to, you know, to try to control or make things happen or whatever. And those are the areas where we get anxious and driving and feel heavy-hearted and so maybe that might be an easy way to figure it out where are you heavy-hearted or feeling anxious or feeling burdened those are probably some of the places he's not in the place of honor and it might help you out if if you have some things like that so anyway we'll be in touch throughout the week we'll see you guys uh, well we won't see you guys this weekend 